We have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Celebrating Black excellence 24-7. Download The Grio now. It's free. Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're sitting down with Courtney Lilly to talk about the end of Blackish. After eight impactful seasons, Black-ish has finally come to an end. The series finale aired on ABC on Tuesday, April 19th, and fans are still reeling about having to say goodbye to the beloved Johnson family. The Emmy-nominated series that debuted in 2014 was the brainchild of Kenya Barris, who based this family largely on his own and helped to launch the careers of some really incredible actors from Marseille Martin to Yara Shahidi to Marcus Scribner, really revived the career of Jennifer Lewis and, you know, helped everyone fall in love with Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross. I remember when the show debuted, viewers were a little skeptical, a little concerned about the title, not sure what to expect, but what came after that were years and years of laughs, of cries, of really poignant social commentary, and there just hasn't really been anything else like it. I couldn't wait to sit down with Courtney Lilly, who started his journey at Blackish as a writer in the middle of the first season and ended up as an executive producer and showrunner. I wanted to know what moments stand out for him, how this show has shaped his journey through Hollywood, and what we can expect from him next. I caught up with Courtney just days before the series finale aired, and now that I've seen it, we know that the Johnson family kind of came full circle. Kids are grown. The Johnson family has moved out of the suburbs and back to a Black neighborhood where they can thrive with people who look like them. Hey, Courtney. I'm so excited to talk to you. I can't believe we're at the end of this journey that just feels like we've been on together for so long. Oh, I know. It's eight seasons, which is kind of remarkable in, in and of itself. You know, it's you know, there aren't a lot of shows getting that kind of run right now, you know, where, you know, and especially being a network show where you were doing, you know, up until this season when we only did 13, we were doing 20 something episodes a year. Yeah. So like, there was a real evolution in how the show works. There was a real constant conversation with, you know, we came into people's living, I always talk about it, we came into people's living rooms uh, and their homes for free. You know, it's network television. It's there. You can decide you want to watch it. You can decide you don't want to watch it. But like the, the, the ability to kind of do 170 plus episodes um, and show what the years 2014 to 2022 were like, at least for the, from the perspective of one family, it was a real gift. You know, it was a real gift. Yes. And, you know, it wasn't even all... I can't say that I ever imagined that this show would have continued to have the impact that I think it does today. I remember when it came out, I remember what a big deal that it was, how new and fresh like that kind of premise was at the time. And to see it work and work out as this family grew and evolved and changed as the kids grew up, yeah. uh, you know, spinoff after spinoff, like everything just kind of worked and also continued to seem really relevant. And I wondered if there was a point early where you kind of knew 
that this thing would go this far? Or was it just as much as a surprise to you? I mean, for me, I like, I'm lucky I was there. You know, I start, I was on season one as a writer. And me, when I got to the show, you know, I, I joined in Labor Day of, of the first season. So they'd already kind of done a few episodes and I, I'd known Kenya for years and I'd known one of the other writers, Corey Nickerson, for years. Um, and there's this kind of weird thing before a show um, hits the air where you wonder if it's going to be any good. And for me, I, and there's a lot of anxiety around that. And for me, as being somebody who was new to seeing what they did, I was just like, guys, don't worry about it. You're in great shape. And so, like, you know, I think that's what you're talking about. The beginning was really solid foundation. You had, you know, Anthony Anderson and Lawrence Fishburne and the discovery of Marcus Scribner. So the show started off with this kind of like real kind of like intergenerational men like thing, you know, and you had, and again, like Lawrence and Anthony, that show was going to get a second season just off of that combination. You know, you could figure out to make things work. And while obviously Tracy Ellis Ross wasn't a revelation to, you know, black audiences because she, you know, was on girlfriends for years. And obviously she's Diana Ross's daughter. So like, you know, as a model and actress and all this other kind of stuff, um, what was nice was the chemistry that she and Anthony had. So then all of a sudden another avenue opens up. So you can sit there and say, instead of saying like, well, this Pops uh, Dre thing better work because we've got to run that into the ground. You know, you had another avenue to explore story-wise, you know? And so it, it could be um, more than just a sitcom about these guys. It could be a sitcom that also deals with like a, a loving family and a, and, a, and, a, and a relationship between a husband and a wife. And then you get the kids who at the beginning are very cute. They do cute kid stuff. Everybody relates. It's funny. But for, you know, Marseille and, 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 um, and Miles to develop into the actors that they became gave us yet another avenue to kind of like explore stories. And so without all of those things working in conjunction, you know, and as writers, it just allows us to, to, to kind of like, you know, be as creative as we want to be. Cause we're not trying to avoid anybody. You know, a lot of times on shows, especially with young actors, you know, you get to a point where you're just like, oh, okay, well, we've reached the limits of their abilities. And we never in, in eight seasons reached the limits of anybody's abilities. So we were able to continue to kind of like push our stories. We were able to push uh, what the actors were able to go for. And they were game for the whole thing. So, you know, it all comes down to casting in any of these things. And also the, the talent that we had at our disposal and the work that they put into it. Yeah. And I mean, Marseille, gosh, even her, like... <laughs> what a gift she's been, I think, to the industry, you know, like how many boundaries she's really been able to push at her young age is amazing. And then we have Yara, who is just like this cherished part of our community now and who I never get tired of following either as Zoe or, you know, as an actor, as an activist. Like, it's just so amazing what has kind of come out of this show. Yeah, there was just a lot, you know, and it's like, I think it's the history of like a lot of, you know, successful shows, you know, you sit there and like, I grew up watching, you know, in Living Color, you know, and you sit there and you're at, oh, like, well, you had Damon Wayans, you had Jim Carrey on that show, <laughs> you know, you had like David Allen Greer on that show, you know, and a lot of them were part of like, you know, the Robert Townsend, Keenan Ivory Wayans crews and like, there was just, you know, like, you know, it, it is, these things aren't often an accident. It is kind of like, like they, it's like a synergistic kind of thing where people are able to grow and develop and, and get better around each other. And it becomes something special, you know? And I, I think like, you know, the first job I ever had was on Arrested Development. It was the same kind of cast that like everybody was, was able to 
you know, maximize what their abilities were. And I, I you know, for us, uh, and to be able to do that again with a show like Blackish and have so many young actors, it was, it was special, you know? And I mean, we're talking about all of these kind of actors and characters that have grown with the show, but you have really grown with the show as well. I mean, starting out in the writer's room, half what halfway through season one, I think, and then becoming executive producer, showrunner, like, talk to me a little bit about what that personal journey has been like for you. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, I, I've known Kenya for 20 years. You know, we were people who we were starting off our careers, you know, we're the same age. We're starting off our careers. We'd be on the couch next to one another because, you know, we're the black guys that were going out for comedy jobs, you know. And so that's kind of how we got to know each other. We worked on the Fox lot uh, on different shows, but near each other and, and, and struck up a friendship. And Kenya's also one of those people who knows everybody. So, like, I came to the show as, you know, kind of just like I was doing my own things. I was doing my own kind of, and, you know, I, I knew people there. I remember when the show got picked up, I, you know, emailed Kenya, congratulating him, telling people not to, telling him not to sweat people who are like hating on the title. You know, it's just like, do your thing, dude, do your thing. And, uh, you know, I came to the show late because they needed somebody um, um, to kind of an upper level guy with some experience after Larry Wilmore left. And, uh, and so for me, I, I didn't have a ton of expectations and it's like, and I'm not a big, you know, I, I was never like, I want to run the show. I want to angle for this job. And so, and I never, I'm not, I'm more process oriented than goal oriented. And so it was another step on a career where I'd worked on a bunch of different shows. And uh, the most important things were the people I worked with as much as anything else. And there were a lot of great people on that show. I bet Lee Bowser was there for the first season. Uh, a dear friend, Gail Lerner, Jonathan Groff, you know, Vijay Patel. It's just like, you know, Peter Saji's, you know, Lindsay Shockley and like Kenya. It's like this great team of people. And what it was for me was an opportunity to be in a room with a lot of peers, you know, and people who were often on the outside at other shows for a variety of reasons. And on this show, all kind of fit together. So at first it just became like a, like a nice place to work and a home. And I got to write a couple episodes a year and spend my days with really funny people. And, you know, obviously like the show takes on a life of its own and starts to get some success and, you know, we're getting Emmy nominations. So it's like a feather in your cap and it's cool, but like, it's always kind of like, you know, I am somebody who was, who's good at, at, you know, at, at rowing in the direction that everybody needs to go. So Really what had happened because the show was so successful and spawned, you know, obviously Grownish and, you know, Kenya had opportunities and eventually the Netflix deal and, you know, time eventually kind of like changes things and people left and people came in and so on and so forth to the point where like, I always look at it like by the time season six came around, I think, you know, Jonathan Groff at that point who had been, you know, with the show, he took one year off in season four to develop, you know, but he was a kind of a, a day one guy there weren't a lot of day one people around by the time we got to season six and seven. It was, I was kind of there, you know? And, but it's just like anything else. It's like, it was an opportunity. Um, I do love making television. I love writing uh, television. So it, I, I took that opportunity and that, which again, like, which Kenya was incredibly gracious to, to allow me to, to have and to be a steward over a show that like changed his life, but was also so personal because so much of it was about his life. So you know, I just, I, I'd been there from the beginning. He trusted me and I was somebody who could honor the work that he and we had all done. So, you know, I, I, it's, it was, it's, it was, it was a great job for, for so many years. Um, but it was like, it was a wholesale surprise to be, 
somebody who is having this interview at the end of it. You know, it was never, I always look around and I'm like, guys, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, it's like, it's supposed to be somebody else. I love that. And you kind of touched on it, but one of my questions was going to be like, what was, if anything, was there like a, a really tangible shift when Kenya left like the day-to-day hands-on I'm running the show considering especially that it's kind of about him yeah I mean one of the things that he always did really well is it is about him and like Anthony's character Dre so much of it like you know that was our North Star is like you know how can you approach his things and Dre as a character is like kind of like a like you know the way George Costanza was or like Larry David is in Curb he he you know sometimes people are like oh, I can't stand him because he's he's impulsive but he also acts out of self-interest in a way that a lot of the strongest comedic characters do. And I think Kenya is the same kind of way. We know him. He's so funny. He's one of the funniest writers I've ever spent time around, you know? And so he kind of was like a North star and a guiding principle in a lot of ways. But as writers, even early on, a lot of our own lives are in the, in these stories, you know? So while it was like, you know, he was, it was, you know, a lot of the, the, the dynamics were based on what we'd seen with him and his family and his life. Um, we all brought a lot to it. And he never said, this has got to be my thing, you know? So our storytelling kind of like, you know, so once we got into, he was, he's not around on the data. And that changed once he got grownish too. It's like, you know, there were certain episodes that like Juneteenth, very, very, very hands-on, you know, because it's like he had a vision for what it was. And when you're doing 22 episodes, 24 episodes, some years of network television, you know, it's a machine. It's week to week to week to week. And to have, the ability to be just like overseeing all of it while it's multiple shows and doing this, there's no human being that can do that. So he had a good staff and he also trusted us to, to do stories. And, and like, again, he's there, he's got his fingerprints on all of it, but it wasn't quite a thing where like, you know, it's like, Oh no, what do we do? You know, it was more like, okay, we were just doing the same thing we were doing before, just more of it in a way. And um, you know, and he was always there if you know with his thoughts his opinions his jokes contributions never not a presence in those kind of ways but it was always in a positive way it was never like here's how i would have done it you know and that and honestly that's that's part of the reason i think we were able to kind of like like carry on in the way we did there were necessary evolutions when you know i think the show once you know groner started and kenny wasn't around as much then he went to netflix and he's not around as much these things kind of naturally evolve and change and so like there are probably differences that smarter people can observe in in the way that the early show was than versus when kenny and groff ran it and versus when i ran it you know mm-hmm. and the other thing that changed you know aside from who was running the show was what was happening to us out here in the real world yeah i mean hugely like this idea this like concept when blackish came out felt a lot more cute you know, you know, like black folks make good what happens when, you know, you're kind of a fish out of water in the burbs and turned into, I think, a lot more of a, a commentary, you know, social commentary on what was happening. And that was, I think, so important and part of what made the show continue to feel so relevant. But I think it also... Like, it wasn't always a smooth ride. I was always wondering, like, if if who was going to get in a fight with ABC, who was, like, what was going to make you guys get canceled or go too far? You know what I mean? Like, I could feel the tension of knowing that there were storytellers there and characters who were developed enough to tackle 
what was happening in the real world. And I knew you guys wanted to do it. And I could see you doing it and kind of inching closer and closer. Then we get that Kaepernick debacle. And it's like, whoa, when are they going to go too far for that middle America viewer that I think was first watching? I mean, it's interesting because it's hard to tell from our vantage point, you know, because also over the eight years, the business has changed so much. Yeah. Like there's not a single network comedy that's going to debut to the numbers that we got just because of the math and the way things work. People, you know, again, we do well on Hulu, but like the same day things. And I've, again, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years and the ratings game, like they don't even, we don't even look at them anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not how the business model works. And so, you know, some of these things are like, yes, what is, you know, how has, how has the show evolved? What is it challenging? But like audiences have a different way of interacting with the show. So like, I mean, some of it is like, did we need to get like, you know, 20 million people who needed to buy Tide soap detergent at 9.30 on a Tuesday in the same kind of way, you know? And so, you know, credit to the network and the studio and everybody for understanding the evolving landscape. And, you know, and I think like, you know, I always believe that most cultural shifts happen when there's technological shifts, you know, and like technology needed to change. It did change. So that probably allowed us, because there's no version of like, you look at a show like A Different World, which was doing a lot of the same kind of things, you know, a, a sitcom, there's a family show watched by a lot of younger people. And brought up issues that, like, you know, while was never, like, a any critical darling, like, did influence a lot of people who went on to become writers themselves, you know? And so, like, it is, it is, and, you know, we saw what, like, cable television did to, to the ability to tell stories, you know? And so I think, really, even though, like, network was kind of a lagging, you know, kind of, like, indicator of what was happening, we still were able to kind of start to push boundaries because I think audiences and um and the people who like advertisers and all that kind of stuff understood that it wasn't the same thing that it was in the 1980s and 90s you know is there one particular episode or even arc that you are just you know really proud of or the most proud of i'm very happy with the people i spent my days working with on this show for eight years you know um and like it's like episodes are hard it's always like little moments and stuff like that there was a moment in a you know when I was on set working on an episode that you know I happened to write because everybody writes so many of these things in sitcoms you know you have your name on it but like it's you know like the showrunner kind of guides what the story is and then you write a draft and everybody makes it better but so I was on set for one and the director Anton Cropper and it was like a stunt with uh, Jennifer Lewis's character driving into a garage and we're against time. And it was actually a different stunt. It was like, she it was like a kind of doing like a speed pull away or something like that. And we're up against time and we're worried about things and we pulled it off and it was exciting to have that moment. And I remember looking at Anton cause he's a great director, uh, a very, a director who like is great technically great with actors and understands comedy. And it was just like a cool moment. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly, that's some of the cool stuff we do, you know? And I think back to moments when we were doing the divorce arc, which is an incredibly hard arc to do. But in the writer's room, all of us coming together and some people not being in favor of it, some people not quite understanding of it, the network and studio being nervous about it, of course, trusting us and giving us the leeway and Kenya being really committed to telling this story. But like the work we put into that when it wasn't easy was a moment I'll never forget. And like Lindsay Shockley, who was a writer on the show with me at the time, the two of us and others in that room, Laura Guten-Peterson, all of us kind of like, and, and John Groff, who directed one of the episodes, coming together to create 
you know, something that wasn't easy. That was a bonding experience, you know? And I think about the finale where, you know, we have so many of our crew who would spent years of their lives being invested in it, having an opportunity to be honored with the show too. So like it, 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 all of it to me is like, it all plays in concert where it's as consumers of the, of the show, you know, you guys have one kind of interaction with it, which is like, you know, it's like, this is what it is. But for me, it's like, you know, I'll go out and walk down sunset and go to lunch or something like that and see somebody I worked with. And it's a, and it's a real lived thing for me, you know? Yeah. The divorce storyline is what sticks out to me. I just, and even watch rewatching it now from when it came out, it was just so real and like so impactful. And it was so weirdly painful, I think, for all of us as viewers. And I could see people reacting on social media, like getting really angry as if like, why would you split up our couple, our mom and dad? And like, if they can't make it, none of us can. And for the kind of show that this is, just the fact that people were so, so deeply invested and almost hinging like their real life ability to sustain a relationship on whether or not Dre and Bo could do that. I think just, again, just speaks volume to the genuine impact this thing has had. And it was an interesting one for me. Cause it's like, I was surprised by that. Cause again, I, you know, I have a, like a removed sense of the show because of all that kind of stuff. But, um, and, and we knew that we were, you know, look, it, there's it's interesting you talk about like again but there's you know there's a thing in comedy writing you know you call schmuppet you're like they're not gonna really break up how do, you, what do you how do you have a show if they break up you know there's a lot again maybe we could have done it and we go down that road and you see what goes on who knows who knows but i think the real thing for us even though we, it was a question and debated and rolled around a lot was with kenya you know having grown up on classic sitcoms and comedy you know and coming from a family where his parents weren't together said i just wish I had seen the Huxtables fight just once on the show, you know? And for me, like, that's all you need to hear, you know, for somebody who is like, like such a student of what we do in not only just television and comedy and stuff like that, but like, who's really pouring so much of his, his personal life and experience to say that as a kid, he watched this happy family on a show and he knew that there was a part of it that was missing that felt unreal. And so like, it, 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 you know, and everybody's seen it in their lives, you know, parents together, parents not together, all that other kind of stuff. And, you know, look, it, it, it was four episodes. It was incredibly brief. It was kind of sudden, I think, for audience members in a lot of ways. And, it, and, and you know, one of the nice things that maybe put them back into those places like, like kids would be in, you know, where they don't understand what's going on. Um, but it was, that was an important, that was an important four episodes, I think, for us. Because it also said, you just got to follow your gut on these things. And whether people are confused, whether it's it's necessary, whether it's like it's easy, um, a lot of times you got to do what's important. And I think that episode, those episodes were important for Kenya. And I think, and, and you know, we were very proud of those to kind of to kind of do that. And like, it was exhausting. We wouldn't want to make that the show all the time. And I think people needed to kind of get a breath afterward and sit there and make, you know, I know we spent all the next year being like, they're really good guys. They're together. Don't worry. Nothing bad's going to happen, you know, um, because people were worried. My neighbors were watching it. They have an outdoor TV. And during the pandemic, they they were watching it. And I, you know, so I'd hear it sometimes in the backyard. And then when they got to those divorce episodes, like my neighbor came up to me and she's like, the kids were so upset. They're so worried. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, we have like three more seasons. It's going to be okay. It just, but like, 
people were affected by it. People were affected by it. So Blackish, we know we're saying goodbye to, but we're not saying goodbye to content from you because you have this like whole overall deal, right? ABC, Disney, like what comes after about like this eight years, all this love now, what? I hope a vacation because <laughs> I've been very busy, you know, like the pandemic, you know, we've, you know, we did, you know, I, I did my first season of Blackish for season six, and that was, you know, 20 something episodes. And, you know, and no matter how much you think, you know, you know, and I'm lucky, I, I you know, I'd worked for 15, 16, 17 years. The, the learning curve, while always steep, wasn't nearly as steep for me, <laughs> you know, just because I had a lot of reps and experience to kind of fall back on. I had so many amazing mentors to kind of to help me through that process. Um, but it's still a lot, you know? And then we went right into a pandemic at the end of it. We had our rap party the day the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson announced they had COVID, you know? And so like, it was like, so that break that I had was no break. And we started preparing for season seven. We started preparing for having to maybe tell stories about COVID. We started preparing immediately for those kind of things, which was a nice welcome distraction from the reality around us. But it was also, you know, it was not necessarily restorative. And we shot for, you know, 20 something episodes during COVID. I, at the same time, I'm also running the other spinoff mixed dish, you know? And so like, I'm doing double duty on those two shows. Um, unfortunately, mixed dish didn't come back, but then we go into our last season of Blackish. And, and so I've been on the treadmill for, you know, and now working on Gronish, I've been like on it for two and a half straight years. And so once we're done with production on Gronish, I am going to, probably turn off my phone and ignore phone calls for a little bit and then gather my resources and figure out what's next, you know? Yes. Well, we will all be staying tuned. Can't wait to see what is next from you. So grateful for what we've gotten from you for these past eight years. It's just been really an incredible ride to be on and, and, and very, you know, kind of distinct and unusual. Like you said, like this doesn't really come around very often. And it felt like a moment while it was happening versus when we talk about girlfriends or a different world 20 years later, this felt, I feel like, like we as an audience knew that this was special as we were experiencing it. And I think that's why it's just a bit harder to kind of let it go. Oh, that's cool. I mean, like literally it's so funny. Like, and Courtney, I appreciate this interview so much because I've been doing so much press and I feel like this is the first one in a little bit, no slight on any other ones where it's different questions. It feels oh. like, you know, all the different questions. Like, it seems like I feel like I've been very much on like, kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm going to say the thing because that's what we're going to get to and so on and so forth. But the one question I've been getting asked a lot, which you did not ask, but I'm going to talk about now, even though I always start off by answering saying that like, I'm not a legacy person. I don't think about legacy, but it relates to what you said. I do think like the part of the legacy of the show will be that in a few years, something will unfortunately happen. That'll be like, I wonder how Blackish would have addressed it. I think that speaks to the sense that like, because it's a family, the family having honest conversations, like there are many, many more years of the show that could have gone on and why we see like, you know, a grownish and potential other things, you know, where it's like, it's the, the fact that it became like this kind of like salon gathering place for a family and different generations to talk about like the black perspective on events um, is kind of timeless. So I think that's, you know, I think that's one of the things we will, we'll see possibly in the next few years, you know? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Courtney, for your time. Yeah. Thank you. You take care. 
before we go, I just want to remind all of you listeners that we have way too much free content over here at The Grio. Stream a world with free entertainment, lifestyle, and news content. Free movies, free shows, and so many free channels. Find us on all your devices wherever you use the internet. On our new mobile app, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, and an over-the-air network. We even have a Black Podcast Network coming soon. Download The Grio now. It's free. The Grio. Black Culture Amplified. Thanks so much for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and concerns to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio, an executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod.